Welcome to another episode of The Solar Podcast. Today, Dave is talking with Tor Valenza, founder of Unthink Solar. Join us as they discuss Tor's journey from Hollywood screenwriter to solar industry thought leader, how solar is portrayed in pop culture, and how Tor's new podcast, Probably True Solar Stories, is using fictional stories to educate consumers about solar technology. Let's get right into it on The Solar Podcast. All right. Well, welcome to the Solar Podcast. We're thrilled to have on with us today Tor Valenza. Tor Valenza has a little bit different background, I think, than a lot of the people that have come on the podcast. Somewhat of an exciting background from my perspective. Uh, Comes to us from a PR background. Certainly has a lot of expertise in the solar space, but also has uh, a different background than many of the the individuals that have come on the show before. Um, Spending some time actually uh, pursuing a career uh, in the Hollywood realm. So we should certainly talk about that. And I think it has uh, a nice entanglement with what you're doing today as well, which is exciting. And and I am a connoisseur of your product as well as uh, um, excited to have you come on and, and uh, answer some questions for us. So Tor, I've given a little bit of a background, but for our listeners, I'd love for you to kind of explain some of the things that you're currently working on and, and, and more specifically your background. And we'll, we'll move into uh, the things that you're currently working on as part of that as a segue from your biography. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on the show, Dave. Um, so again, my name is Tor Valenza, um, and uh, I've been in the solar industry on the PR and communication side since uh, 2009, late 2008, um, when I thought that solar was going to be getting mainstream, um, but we're still working on that. Um, and we can get into a little bit later about why I don't think it's still mainstream, but it's getting there. We're, 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 we're reaching, um, you know, many millions of installs. So it, it's good progress. Um, so yeah, along the way, I, um, have been a prolific, uh, blogger for renewable energy world about, uh, marketing and social media and, and PR and um, before that, um, I was a film and TV writer for uh, Stargate SG-1, Darman Gregg, and uh, The Dead Zone, and a lot of movies that you all have never seen and I have never seen because that's what happens in, in the studio system in Hollywood. You write a lot of scripts, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of them just sit on producer shelves and they just never get made because of... Uh, many, many different factors, but that's that's a different game. Um, so along the way, I, um, you know, there was a Writers Guild strike, and I was always a solar ad- advocate as a kid, and I saw a double feature of Who Killed the Electric Car and, uh, and An Inconvenient Truth. And at that point, I realized that the solar technology was here and it was needed, but we didn't have really great communicators about it. And so that's when I decided to switch careers and start educating myself in solar and started my PR company. And and it's always been Unthink Solar and easily found at unthinksolar.com. So that was the original yep. uh, business that yep. you'd started and, and continues yeah. today. Yeah, Unthink Solar, again, it goes back to I didn't think we were being um, bold enough. So my mission statement for Unthink Solar is uh, be bold for solar, stand out, and educate. And what I wanted people to do with the Unthink was to kind of, you know, 
step back from their usual typical marketing, which again then was around advertising and print, and to dive in more into this was again 2009 when Twitter was just starting and everything else. And I just thought you guys are just missing Facebook, you're missing Twitter, and all these other things that that other industries are doing. What's wrong with you? And that's what I was blogging about on Renewable Energy World, and you know it. it definitely um, hit a tone. And of course, now these are all standard practices these days. But um, back then, it was cajoling people and kind of teaching them how to do it. Tor, I got to ask you, um, obviously, you have a large social media presence as well. And you don't use your name Tor Valenza as your handle on social media. So where does the at Solar Fred come from? That is a very frequently asked question. My middle name is not Fred. Um, but it, it's, it's kind of a, a bit of a two-parter. So first of all, when I started in the solar industry, again, I was haranguing people about not using social media. And so, you know, I had learned Twitter and what I did know of my name that was that Tor was unusual and people did not know what to, you know, they'd heard of Thor, but not T-O-R, Tor. Um, and so at Solar Tour would not make sense. So I wanted to have a more common name that was more relatable to people. And um, the most natural one that came to me was Fred, because I thought, oh, it kind of sounds like the solar installers that I want to be reflecting. Um, and it was a name that I had used with my um, wife at the time. We lived across the street from a neighbor who was very private. And no matter what, he didn't have his name on his mailbox, nothing. And when we passed him, he wouldn't respond to us. And But we sometimes had to communicate to him, hey, you left your garbage cans off in the middle of the, the street. And we didn't know how to refer to him. So we just started calling him Fred. And then everything that we forgot the name of or had, you know, pass me the Fred or whatever. So when I, you know, it was kind of a common thing. And, and I just thought, oh, at Solar Fred, that. It brought a smile to my face when I heard, you know, my say 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 that out loud, and so that's how I picked my Twitter handle was at Solar Fred. And uh, back then, you could only um, have your Twitter handle. You couldn't put you, now now in Twitter, you can actually put your name separate from your your Twitter handle. Um, but I just kept it um, because people started knowing me as. Fred or Solar Fred, and I, I do answer to both. So when I see people at solar conferences and people go, hey, Fred, um, that's me, you know, gotcha. uh, just over the years. Yeah, no, that's a, it's an inter interesting story. I when, I when I saw some of your posts, I noticed the at Solar Fred when we were doing some of the research for the podcast. So thanks for, thanks for helping me understand that mystery. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. So I first started experimenting with uh, getting into solar in 2009. I came from a a very traditional background in the sense that I was already selling residential services. I was the start of my career. And so for me, it was a natural transition and evolution from the other products I was selling moving into solar. Um, and, but, but, but for me, the other thing that I think really drew me to solar is I grew up in a coal mining town in Montana. And so I was surrounded by energy my whole life. And uh, so it was if if ever there were a natural transition, take a guy from residential sales uh, that's been surrounded by energy and then moving move him into 
the residential solar space. And I know that you talk about solar much more broadly than the residential side, but maybe you can kind of talk to me for a second. Why do you think solar needs PR at all? I mean, why is uh, why why does solar need a PR advocate speaking on its behalf? And why haven't we found some of the success that that maybe you and I thought we would have by now when we started getting into solar in two thousand nine era? Yeah, I I think it's just human nature in the sense that people tend to do the easiest thing. And so, you know, as much as people think that solar is a great concept and, you know, the complex, it's still a complex thing. Um, I was just joking with a friend um, about, you know, the fact that we, they, the DOE, the Department of Energy just announced about fusion energy. And I said, you know, oh, great. We'll be seeing that on in Best Buy just just the same way we'll be seeing plug and play so you know plug and play solar on the shelves by next Tuesday and we we aren't seeing plug and play solar on the shelves of Best Buy or Home Depot um, uh, now and probably not for many years to come still um, and especially when you're adding solar and storage um, together and the total um, uh, smart home um, which is going to be managing that that energy. And so I think that there is, again, the conception that solar is a cool thing and people want it, but they still perceive it, I think, as too expensive. Um, I don't know if you, you found that in your, uh, they don't understand um, solar leases, perhaps, they don't understand solar PPAs, and um, the uh, just the ease of getting a solar quote and again, learning about the technology and being fearful about, um, you know, having leaks in a roof and um, all those other, all the things that come with it, how long is it going to take? It's a big loan. Um, these things are still things that over, overcome. Whereas with a car, um, which is another large per purchase. There is a lot of information out there. There's a lot of experience out there. You can ask other people about it. Um, you know, I, I liken um, solar to um, the uh, adoption of the cell phone in the 1990s. Again, it was, it was very expensive at a certain point. And then people started, um, again, seeing their friends have it. Uh, and then... You know, you started seeing it in the movies, uh, again, which solar doesn't have right now. I mean, you, you think about The Matrix in the late late 1990s. You think about Jeremy Quire screaming into the phone, show me the money with his cell phone. Um, all these pop culture things, and people start to say, oh, yeah, that looks like me on the screen. Maybe I should look into this. And and then they do. And they, they realize that cell phones, you know, are a technology that was in Star Trek and is now available now and affordable to me and then I can get it on a you know on an installment plan and all these other things and you know prices started coming down competition etc so that's that's where we are right now I think so, so you recently started producing self-producing true solar stories probably true solar stories probably true so that that actually is an important distinction uh, it is. <laughs> so I'd love to have you explain what 
where where the impetus for that was what made you think up the idea of having these probably true stories and for for people that want to get more in depth they can go and listen to the very first episode of it i think you talk a lot about it but uh, i'd love to give uh maybe a little bit backstory that's not included um in the the actual uh podcast that first release what were the things that you were thinking about as you decided to put together the probably true solar stories so again when i started in my my career um, in the solar world, I, I definitely thought that solar should be more in pop culture. And I uh, definitely talked to my clients, which were, you know, fairly large industry players um, and, you know, solar panel manufacturers, things like that, about doing guerrilla things like this. Again, my, my mission statement is be bold for solar, stand out and educate. And, you know, it, it, it's very conservative. People didn't want to put in, put, do a commercial that was kind of more narrative and funny and things like that. Um, they didn't want to do a music video that was, again, you know, there, there are some that have done them out there. If you're, if you're familiar with the industry, you know, Dave, you've been long, here a long time. You probably have seen the Solar Edge ones um, that they've done, you know, every holiday time. And that's more of what I was, you know, going for that we need to be again in this pop culture thing and doing funny music videos. Um, so, um, I think that everybody in their pocket now has a satellite truck (laughs) and recording studio. Um, I'm holding up my cell phone right now. Um, and I just thought, okay, well, if Hollywood's not going to do it, um, and, and by the way, again, as a former Writers Guild of America member, I actually went to them in 2015 and said, I want to teach writers about solar. I, I've been where you guys are, and now I'm in the solar world. Um, let me give a class um, about solar. And they just said, you know, that's not the things that we do. People just find their plots by, by themselves. And I went like, okay. So, um Again, having been in both worlds and now knowing that um, I can do this myself, I don't have to be waiting for Hollywood to do it. I just said, okay, here's an example of what we can do with a podcast that are tell narrative stories and show solar in pop culture. And that's what that's how we created probably true solar stories. And probably true because I wanted it, you know, there are a lot of nonfiction stories in the the media. You know, we get one-offs of that every now and then, but people see themselves in stories. And, you know, whether that's a lawyer story or that, you know, every, everything that we see on TV, it's kind of reflective in our mind and our morals and things like that. And so um, I, I wanted things that could be both non-fiction, I mean, sort of real life situations, but also the fantasy world that we have, bef- that, that we see, like dragon slayers again. <laughs> I mean, why are dragon, there, there are no dragon slayers and no dragons in the world today, and yet these are some of the most popular things in TV today. So in next season, I am going to have a dragon story. Um, you, you can wait for that. But um, well, I'll, I'll look forward for that. Look forward to that yeah. for sure. Uh, but in the meanwhile, uh, the first season shows all, or I should say, many of the genres that we can tell fictional solar stories that are entertaining and as what I call edutainment. Um, it does tell people about the solar world and, and some solar things. Um, you know, I, 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 the, the, the first episode um, 
tells about a large-scale solar developer who is dealing with, again, a real-life solar issue in the sense that there is a law that says you can't import solar panels that have been manufactured with forced labor from China, from a specific region. And if you are one of those big developers who happen to do that, either by accident or on purpose, the customs agency will confiscate those solar panels. So the first episode is about um, someone who finds themselves in that situation mistakenly, and so they hire a guy who knows a guy to go and liberate his solar panels from a customs warehouse. So it's called the solar heist, or how I got into the solar business. And it's a ongoing relationship between a kind of, you know, minor thief and a solar developer. And um, that's an ongoing series that goes, that's into three episodes, and we'll have three more episodes in season two um, coming up in, in the next couple months. Yeah, I, I uh, and and specific, yeah, I, I listened to those episodes and uh, I did find it educational um, for the lay listener, someone that's not in the space. They'd certainly learn something if they were to listen to the episodes. Um, and I think it it sort of bridges. It's not just a solar story. It's not just an entertainment story, but it also kind of brings in some social issues that we um, sometimes cover our eyes to. Um, you know, these forced labor issues. And, and there was a specific region in China that manufactures a significant portion of the world's glass and the solar industry, which uses a, a lot of glass, was fairly affected by that last year. And, and to the story's credit, it, it elucidated in a point that uh, really affected the solar industry. We had many, many containers of solar modules that were sitting um, at the ports of entry. Um, trying to make it onto a, a truck to get to a warehouse so that we solar companies could go and then install those solar panels so individuals could benefit by those things. And, and uh, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I won't, I won't spoil the story, but if you were to go and listen to the podcast, you'd, you, you'd find that many of those solar panels met um, just a terrible end in the sense that they were ultimately destroyed and deemed unusable here in the United States. And so... Well, what I found out, though, is, again, there, there wasn't a lot of information about what customs would do with those confiscated ones. And what I did find out ultimately was, first of all, millions of panels were confiscated, um, which was, you know, a, a big, uh, but, but uh, Reuters did a, did a report on this, probably not from reading my, or listening to my podcast, but just because it is an issue. Um, and eventually, they are not shredded, I found out. They are just returned to China. So whether those panels are sent to Europe after that, which doesn't have the forced labor laws that I know of, or other countries, or used internally, because again, people don't know that China, despite all of its pollution, is also building solar a lot faster than we are. So I, I'm sure that there's... Yes, yeah. So, um, but in any case, um, yeah, I, I, there, every podcast episode has what I call true solar takeaways in the show notes. Um, so whatever was kind of a reality in there, I, I talk about, but it's the same thing for, um, I, I don't know if you listened to the episode about that takes place in 2040. That's a kind of, um, that is about what solar sales and marketing is going to be in in this solar bot world, um, where where solar installer comes up to your your house and knows everything about you thanks to your free phone that's in your pocket. And um, 
there's a lot of privacy issues that are discussed in there um, in that episode. But um, it also talks about solar leases that are still around today. And so there are, again, true solar takeaways within that episode. Um, but there's, again, some other, uh, there's also about, you know, how your house should be configured and who's right for solar and, and, and uh, you know, some, some issues about that, that the, the home was built specifically for solar because it faces south. Again, these are these are all these like little details that you kind of go through when you get uh, a visit from a salesperson with solar, and that doesn't change in 2040, but many other things do. I, I tried to rack my brain uh, to think of some real mainstream media um, or mainstream shows that highlights solar. And as a solar guy, I can't help when you see the aerial imagery or you see a drone image of particular California neighborhood as a, as a segue to a show as something pans in or pans out. I, I can't help but notice that there are a lot of solar panels uh, on many homes. Or if someone's driving down the street, you can see solar panels in actual shots of movies now, which is fun for me, but something probably only I notice as a solar guy. But I tried to think of examples in pop culture where solar fits in and I where, where I at first I thought you know it's really just in those apocalyptic scenarios you yeah. know where you see oh okay well, we're going to bring some solar panels into the story just because we need to figure out how to have lights and power and make this idea of having lights and power without you know an infrastructure of a utility company possible um, and I, I thought of the example and forgive the 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 sort of long thought here but thought of the example like in for example like the walking dead for those of you that have watched i don't think i'm spoiling anything by talking about this but as society sort of reestablishes it itself in these sorts of movies you see these small microgrids start to pop up yeah and i think that the thing that's fascinating about that and it's maybe something that only i as a solar guy take away is i've oftentimes said on this podcast and in other places if we were to start over from scratch, knowing what we know now, we wouldn't build the infrastructure the way that we have today. No, no, no. And you take examples from movies where society starts over and they don't say, okay, how are we going to refire up our coal plants so that we can have this gigantic macro grid? They take things like solar modules and it's unrealistic, probably the way that they're representing it in the movies, but the, the actual application is very realistic. You know, you set up these communities, these small microgrid communities where individuals are sharing power that's generated maybe from a very central location, maybe on from rooftops. And you can see that uh, uh, people have the ability to become completely energy self-sufficient with either a small community or just within a home itself. And I think that's exciting. And so maybe there is an opportunity for us as a solar industry to better tell our story using some pop culture examples like that. So yeah, I, I think definitely, you know, there, again, that's going to be a theme next year as well in terms of um, energy independence. Um, and yeah, again, there's a lot of Solar politics that again the 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 podcast um, future podcast episodes can get into in terms of you know what can be redesigned in the grid today and what um, net metering means and should mean um, for for people in terms of you know giving your extra solar power back to um, the utility and them selling it to your neighbors for three times the four times the price now in California, effective in starting in May, sadly. Or 10 um, times. 
or yeah. 10 times, yeah, depending on yeah. where you are in, in, in the U.S. And, and what, what your export rate is relative to your import rate. And we yeah. could, you know, those, those terms might not make a lot of sense to every listener, but the truth of the matter is, is that this recent legislation in California makes the, the feasibility or viability for many homeowners to go solar at risk. Um, of course, there's some things that we're doing as an industry to, to provision against those risks or to de-risk it so that more homeowners will have the ability to go solar. But uh, with one fell swoop, uh, legislative swoop, uh, the solar industry has been significantly challenged in California and it's and in other places too. But that, that tells another story. In other words, um, I remember again when I was first starting um, and the, the people were talking about the utility death spiral and, and all these other things, and that's why that they, they were doing these protectionist things. And, and ironically, again, in a fictional world, um, we have this uh, system where, again, we have a monopoly utilities controlling, you know, power generation. But with these types of policies that are being passed by the public utility commissions for whatever reason, reasons, whether that's practical reasons or not, it may drive more people to want to decouple as so, as um, storage prices go, go lower. And it'll be interesting. I, I personally know from my, again, I'm not an engineer. I, I, I wanted to be a solar engineer when I was a kid. Um, then I took physics and calculus and realized I would not be a solar engineer. Um, but again, I was very inspired by it and that's why I'm here today. But um, I, I, I do think that um, the, because of technology today, um, we are much better off together with everybody being grid-tied. However, with these policies, I, I just do wonder if we're going to start seeing sort of this balkanization of people trying to defect from the grid. Now, there are policies that don't allow you to actually decouple from the grid, which is very ironic. It's like you're you're forcing me to be, con, you know, connected to the grid in certain jurisdictions. So um, I, I, I see that as being a story in the future as well as, as, as this policy battle of, well, you're overcharging me for electricity. I don't want to pay your connection charges. I don't need your connection charges. Why can't I decouple? And I'd, I'm, I'm going to be debating in my head that's going to come out in the story about why that, what, what's happening today that forces you to be connected to the grid, um, at least from a policy standpoint. Yeah, this isn't the case, obviously, in every municipality, but in California, it's certainly the case. Generally speaking with the utility company, about half of your cost of power on your utility bill is dealing with transmission. So it's something to do with just maintaining the lines. The other half of it tends to be the cost of the electricity, the contracts that the utility, the utility company has to be able to actually provide that electricity to you. And um, in the case of California, where rates are on average 30 cents plus, starting, you know, in the lowest tiers. The lowest tier. So the more you use energy, the, the, the higher it goes, depending on what time of day. Um, so, again, time of use rates are another thing that consumers don't understand. Um, another, another reason why um, solar can be complicated, but keep Yeah, going. and those most expensive rates for residential homeowners or for residential customers are around 49 cents in SDG&E specifically. And when you realize that about 25 cents of that 49 cents is specifically going towards the transition, transmission and maintaining the lines, 
and you know that solar can generate electricity for a fraction of that cost. It seems almost silly to be forced to continue to allow that system to, 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 to continue by forcing people to be part of that grid. Now, in terms of solar adoption, the net energy metering laws that tended to be fairly favorable in all of the states, meaning that you could, the export rate, the, electri- the cost of electricity uh, that you would export would be on par with the import rates, the, the cost of electricity that you would use from utility company, uh, which I think is a fairly favorable um, way of, 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 of doing net energy metering for most homeowners. Um, that has helped with the adoption of solar. And you could make an argument that there's an economic benefit to the utility for one-to-one net energy metering for some number of customers. Um, But now that we're reaching some level of sort of penetration in in some of these municipalities, we have to be creative and thoughtful about new home builds and, and how we build new communities. And do we need to really connect to that old antiquated system with those inflated costs again, particularly in California? Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm recording this podcast from the Salt Lake area where our electricity rates are a third the cost of California rates. I hope that frustrates some people out there. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but, you know, again, so our transmission costs are maybe a nickel and our electricity costs are maybe on average around a nickel. But when you have these over, over, you know, the systems like in California, it's so much more expe- expensive and inefficient. You're also, from my, from my knowledge, I believe, uh, have a lot of coal generation as well. We so, do. We so do. That, that used to be cheap. I don't think that's getting cheap anymore. So... Um, again, what keeping your your rates low? I'm I'm not sure, um, but in any case, uh, well, the rates have actually gone up quite a lot just in the last year for 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 those reasons, right? So as as we see, you know, and, and take the example of Coal Strip, Montana, the the hometown that I grew up in, that had three independent coal mining operations and then one large. A couple gigawatt uh, power generation plant, coal-fired generation plant. It was made up or comprised of four separate units: two units built in the late '60s, and then two units built in the in the early '80s. And the the standards for the for the for the units that were built in the late '60s. Uh, allowed for much higher, much worse emissions. The ones built in the late early 80s were low emissions. All of them at the end of the day emit carbon, um, but it was the other ancillary emissions, you know, the, the, the stuff that comes out of the stacks when they burn the coal. They didn't do a great job of collecting the other contaminants that would come when you burn things. Um, and, and as a result, the standards have gotten such that it actually is much more expensive to keep those open to then retrofit them to the new standards than to just shut them down. So the first two units of that uh, uh, power plant have already been shut down. They're going to have to figure out what to do with them, but uh, uh, some sort of a conversion, hopefully, for the sake of the people that I grew up with. But uh, but you're you're absolutely right. It's you know coal is not as inexpensive as it used to be, in part because of new legislations that that appropriately. Uh, cause these coal-fired generation stations to to bring themselves up to a much higher standard than they than they pre- than they previously were held to. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, it's you know a necessary um, uh, transition. Um, again, I, I, we're dealing here in California as we speak with a series of uh, of, of rainstorms that are causing flooding that my neighbors have never had before. 
and that is very scary. Um, and you know the the things we were talking about, climate change, that were going to be happening, are already showing up earlier than than we thought. So um, the faster we transition, which is again why um, I, I created this podcast because I, I do want to get solar more into pop culture. I was, you know, I'm I'm thinking about a writing a blog post now about like, well, okay, well, when's what 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 are going to be the signs that solar is truly ma mainstream? And, you know, it, it's going to be that there is finally, you know, at least solar in the background of film and television shows. I mean, if you are going, uh, if you watch TV right now, solar is invisible, <laughs> you know, on all the shows, even though we have three and a half million installations and one being built every 60 seconds, according to SIA. Um, Solar Energy Industries Association. So, you know, it's all around us. And like you said, I mean, you can see it on roofs everywhere. And yet that is not being reflected in pop culture, in movies and things like that. So, you know, when we start to see that as being standard, when we get um, some kind of television show that's built around renewable energy and solar, I think that that's when we'll be, I think, finally mainstream. When songs, um, I was... Uh, Lord, you know, the pop star Lord wrote a song called Solar Power last year. And I was like going, yeah, all right. And it was about just she and the girls hanging out at the beach. That's what the song was about. None of the videos, none of none of them. So when people are actually writing about solar, you know, a pop store is actually writing about solar energy and not just the sun, which we've got plenty of so songs about the sun and and, you know, we should have many songs written about the sun, but it's not part of, again, our pop culture. Rap, rap people are not writing about solar, um, so, solar energy in any kind of way. Art, again, there's no Banksy doing a something on a wall with solar on it. Um, you know, that that's what we need to, to be doing in order to, for, to truly be in our pop culture consciousness everywhere. Um, books aren't being written, again, with characters being solar installers or people going solar and things like that. I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave. I mean, can you think of, of, of any solar movies? I mean, other than, you know, there's James Bond, um, Goldfinger was about um, basically a, a concentrated um, uh, CSP technology that was, again, not, not real at the time. Yeah, I like I'd mentioned earlier, I actually struggled to try to think of examples of pop culture where solar has any prominent role or even really soft mention and it tends to be those stories around yeah. um, you know, the po apocalyptic stories and then right. really it's only just to try to make it seem reasonable or realistic that you could restart a society and still have access yeah. to things like, you know, power, for example, yeah. electricity. And people take it take it for granted in the sense that, you know, our satellites right now, the space station, they're not powered by nuclear power. <laughs> they're powered all by solar panels. I mean, these are powerful, reliable, it's a powerful, reliable technology. And um, people just need to start noticing it more. Um, the other, I think, big mention of it was in The Martian, um, the, the movie that and book that happened before again. Yeah, but again, it had to take place in, in on Mars for it to get a mention. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, Tor, there's so many things we could talk about there. But, you know, like you take California, for example, one of the and I got to say this a little bit carefully because I don't agree with the NEM 3.0 decision. I think it was fairly hasty. I think it's too extreme. And I think it damages a very well-established industry that creates many jobs and creates significant value to homeowners. Uh, so I just want to go on record as saying that. That being said, there are a few things that need to change in the California marketplace. The truth is, is that it's not really a five to seven payback for most homeowners. If they were to pay for their system upfront at current rates, they're looking at more like a three and a half or four year payback in California. The payback yeah, times are incredible. You're, you're, you're right. No, in many, in many, many areas, but including the loan costs and including other, other things. Um, but when you, when you consider things like, you know, and payback is almost the wrong conversation to have for most homeowners. It's less than 10% of homeowners come out of pocket, even a, uh, uh, you know, uh, even $1 in down payment for their solar. The majority of homeowners purchase their system through some financing mechanism. And it's a financing mechanism that they immediately start saving money. So what is the true payback if a customer immediately starts saving money and eventually pays nothing. And again, I'm trying to be careful not to be a shill for solar, uh, but obviously I'm passionate about it. And the truth of the matter is, is that one of the things that I've had to fight for for the last 13 years is this idea of just trying to justify the industry that I'm passionate about and that I love, uh, that, that, the, that the truth is, is that majority of homeowners are immediate beneficiaries of. And, and again, not the perfect solution for every individual, and I think any honest person needs to be able to be able to have that honest conversation. Um, but, uh, but yeah, something that we obviously at the solar podcast are very excited about talking about. And we've had so many people come on the show that have talked about the, and I would say that one of the, the things that have, has gained a lot of airtime on this show has been the, uh, you know, fighting against these, uh, misconceptions and misperceptions that exist in, in the marketplace and, and trying to understand why can Australia install solar for around a buck a watt and people in California are paying four bucks a watt. Yeah. Well, again, that that's um, when you, when you know about this better than I do in terms of being on the ground um, about that, but yeah, your um, dollar per watt cost of solar is broken up into a lot of different, things as you know it's 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 permitting um costs it's also you know marketing costs it's uh you know sales and marketing costs as well as the, again the up and down costs of the of the panels um the complexity of your system you know your your roof and what you need to be installing so um yeah i i you know comparing it to australia I also don't know about in terms of their quality of, of modules there, if they go for less expensive ones that come from China and things like that. We're very, uh, I think because of the banks and things like that, uh, it seems like, especially for, you know, medium to large installers like you, um, you're going to be needing to have tier one modules which are also more expensive than the tier twos and things like that so um anyway again you're on the ground with this a lot more than i am uh i'm again promoting more on the b2b space these days yeah such such a large chunk of the cost of a module for the utility the commercial and the residential side is uh the that the the it's the ancillary costs, the taxes and things like that. That's, that's, that's the thing that's, that's driving the cost of solar panels up significantly here in, 
in the United States relative to other marketplaces. But but you're right. There there is um, maybe more tolerance in other markets like China, for example, to install different types of modules. But the truth is is that most modules, the difference between a tier one and a tier two is is yeah, it might be less bankable. Um, but you know, a, a tier one panel coming out of the 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 the, the container is probably going to have within five watts one panel to the next consistency uh, versus you you know when you pull a bin of or when you pull a, a container of modules from you know tier what we might call a tier two module you're gonna have maybe a slightly higher fa- failure rate but but still not still not huge uh, but you're gonna have a little more variability one module to the next that's the biggest difference I think and that's why it's harder to for a financing company, uh, for a large financier to want to bank certain modules that don't have the same sort of manufacturing standards. Yeah, I mean, for inverters and and uh, and modules, you know, if you got a recall on a lot of modules, especially again, if you're a larger installer or in, in installing, you know, thousand systems a year, that that's going to cost you a lot of money to go and pull those panels off and replace them. Um, so again, your 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 risk is is a lot lower if you go for one that is more bankable and and you know again doesn't have those has uh, been embedded in some some shape or form. So in general, um, but yeah, in, in any case, I, I think you know there's the the main thing that that I'm trying to drive home with probably true solar stories is that solar is part of our lives. It is all around us. And I think that um, people are going to, you know, the more they see themselves in pop culture in some shape or form, um, the more they'll think about solar for themselves. So, you know, another one of my episodes I did was what, you know, I kind of rebranded the, the podcast for that one episode called Probably Poo Solar Stories. And it's about Winnie the Pooh. Um, going solar. And, and I can do that because Winnie the Pooh is now in the public domain. Interestingly, Tigger is not. He was originally going to be Pooh's solar installer, but then I found out uh, at the last minute that Tigger wasn't uh, in the public domain for another two years. So I had to re- redo it and re-record things um, to be safe and not be sued by Disney. Um, but anyway, that's that's a good one, and it's child friendly. And I just wanted to teach people about the basics of going solar there, including Eeyore doing permitting and um, some uh, some other fun fun guest appearances. So yeah, when you said probably poo solar stories, I thought you were going to make reference to the pigeon um, episode. Uh, but uh... yeah, the pigeon episode is another one where, again. People go solar all the time, but there is some minimal maintenance, as, as you know. Um, and one of those things is cleaning off the panels. But in this particular episode, they the homeowners discover that they're uh, being bombed by one particular pigeon for a particular reason. And I don't want to let don't, that... Don't spoil it, sure. <laughs> don't, don't spoil that. But um, these situations happen. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that... Uh, Again, it, it's just I, I want it to be no, a normal part of home ownership. Just like you have to maintain your ducts and your 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 uh, drainage gate um, gutters. Gutters. Thank you. <laughs> 
solar solar needs some maintenance as well. And again, depending on the inverter you do, I don't know if you're using microinverters or 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 strings, but you know those have to be changed every you know twelve to fifteen years, depending on what what type of um, inverter you do, or twenty five if you trust n n phase enough. And um, you know they stand behind those too. So. Um, but that's another thing that people have to learn about is their choice of inverter. That's, you know, another uh, complication that they have to be educated about. But I want people to understand, I don't want inverter to be a foreign word. You know, I, if, if it's on a TV show that you're talking about, oh, I got a, my, my inverter conked out, great. And everybody understands what that means. That that's again when solar. Uh, so I grew up in the restaurant business, and when in in the eighties and nineties, when balsamic vinegar started becoming more in in McDonald's salad dressings, like my dad was going like, oh, well, that balsamic vinegar isn't special anymore. And it's and now the same thing's happening with truffle. You know, truffle this and truffle that and everything else. I want the same kind of verbiage like. Everybody knows about inverters, and everybody knows about um, you know the, their their modules, and and can compare modules just like they compare uh, car brands or or cell phone brands. You know that that's when we'll be being stream. Yeah, you know. So I've obviously I have solar on my house um, and have for a very long time. And uh, when we moved to uh, Salt Lake from from uh, California. Uh, one of the first things we did is we put solar panels on our new home. And uh, for the most part, and this is true, it's kind of a set it and forget it proposition. You kind of put the solar panels up there and you just don't think about it. And it generates electricity and somehow magically you don't have an electricity bill anymore. Not so magical, but that's the way it feels to, to many people. Um, but even me, you know, I get surprised by certain things. So, for example, the way that my solar modules were installed on my roof, it just so happens that when they slough snow, uh, coming from an environment in California where I had no snow to an environment where we have snow fairly regularly in Salt Lake, uh, the panels would come down in such a way that it was actually damaging my gutters. And that was something I had to deal with. And it would, you know, and, and, and here I am, the solar guy, and I'm having to deal with something that I, in the thousands and thousands and thousands of installs that I'm familiar with, it's not even an issue I'd even ever heard of. And here I am now dealing with it. And so the uh, good news is, is that the solutions are fairly simple for things like that. But yeah, you do have to think about it. So one of the things I did hear, however, when I was listening to the probably true solar stories, um, at least in the intro to the probably true solar stories, is you talked about having as many as maybe 180 plus starts, one line starts for these stories. I'm curious, you've, you've teased us a little bit with what season two might hold. What are some of the ones that you're most excited about talking about and, and maybe things that we wouldn't even necessarily think about how you could intertwine solar into or incorporate solar into a story? Uh, well, that's like picking my children right now. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that, um, right now, um, in terms of, again, writing them up, but, um, you know, there's again, just in a broad way, in terms of politics, what if, a, what if a solar installer ran for president? Or former solar installer, and what would a solar what would a solar president or former solar installer who became president do differently? Um, you know, and so so that's one that I'm considering. There's uh, a lot of those types of situations. Um, I also want to do the story about again someone who decides to decouple and won't isn't allowed to be decoupled from from the grid. Um, 
in California, it is illegal for a homeowners association to stop you from putting solar on your home, but that isn't the case in, in other parts of the country. So I want to do the, the HOA um, uh, fight type of situ uh, story. Yeah, that's actually, I mean, the, unpacking the, the local regulatory jurisdictional challenges to solar is, I mean, a person could make a career out of trying to do that and trying to help people understand it. It's, that is one of the major, one of the significant differences um, between, you know, the United States and Australia. And there are some obvious benefits when you have all these different states and local governments. You, you get to sort of test what works in one state versus the other. Essentially, you become incubators for other states that can liken themselves after. And you have all these different states that have different ideas. But the problem with that is, is that when you have non-standardization, it makes it really difficult for companies like myself, for example, to, to be able to work in different locations. And it's much worse than at a state to state level. It's really at a community to community to town to town to HOA to HOA level. And, and, uh, and even in the case of California, which thought they were clever with, with requiring HOAs to not disallow homeowners from going solar, there still are provisions that HOAs can still make it a pain in the butt, you know, and can add two, three, four months onto a solar installation. Yeah, I, I think it, it's just one of those things where the technology is here that we could create a national permitting standard of some sort for, again, different regions. So, you know, again, there's going to be different situations for every climate. And again, you know, California, in Southern California, you're rarely going to have snow, so you don't have to worry about those types of, uh, of, of issues. But we could, you know, a watt is a watt is a watt. And if Congress, you know, could put a national permitting law, that's what one of my episodes is about. Um, there's a uh, solar superhero story in my episode, and it's about, again, a, a fictional, obviously fictional solar superhero that has all the powers from the sun. Um, and, you know, he's trying to stop climate change by installing, you know, uh, an installation every 60 seconds, but he can't do it because he keeps getting fined by all the AHJs, the authorities having jurisdiction. And so he wants to join the essentially super league of superheroes because that will at least you know uh exempt him from all, all of these things that's the only way he doesn't want to fight evil do doers he just wants to in install more solar but he can't and so he has to audition for this league and show his superpowers and so this so, so your superhero is an analog for the entire industry at least in that story <laughs> in some ways in some yeah. Way, yeah um yeah i mean again uh, I, I might have mentioned this earlier in the podcast but yeah it's a, according to sia we have a solar installation installed every 60 seconds somewhere in the in the u.s and so we're doing it quickly but it has to be even faster if we're going to make a dent in uh climate change so um and you, and the truth of the matter is, is we're not that far away from having a standardized permitting process. There's a few different, there's been a few different tries at that. And I think, I think that, uh, you know, all of us in the solar industry are hopeful that that is something that can come to fruition and it doesn't take something like federally mandated and legislated that just kind of cooler heads can prevail. And we can all realize that, 
this is silly and inefficient the way that we're currently doing it and and that cities can streamline their processes by adopting some of the some of the national standard mechanisms that could easily um, you know manage this far more efficiently and effectively than they can at the local level but every fire department every building department i mean you know side by side you know town next to each other have different different codes and standards um, some are on the National Electric Code that is, you know, 2020 and, and others are still back in 20. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, if, if we could mandate that everybody, and again, and there, I understand from their perspective, well, we haven't been trained in these new standards. Well, then that has to become a standard that you get trained and certified every year by the new new standards and then we can all agree about them. And, and, and therein is any, another sort of like very strong argument for why cities would want to adopt a national standard that could easily audit and streamline the process um, and and maintain, you know, the most current standards easily. Yeah. And if a, solar, if a solar installer were president, that's what he would direct the Department of Energy to do is to, you know, and and from what my understanding is, I mean, it's all there. Like the information to make it standardized across the U.S. is there. It just can't be implemented because of politics and the many political situations about it. Um, another, again, topic that I want to um, tackle at some point are the large solar installations, again, that are are now going into farmland and things like that. And there's a lot of pushback. Um, I don't know if you're dealing with that with any of your, you're not in the utility space, but um, I have utility clients. And yeah, I mean, you have to be a community organizer these days to um, educate the local residents about what solar is going to do and what it won't do to the land surrounding it. And, you know, all the wonderful things that you can do um, in terms of planting pollinator plants instead of just gravel. And so it's going to be a help to all the farms around there because these pollinators um, are, are going to attract more bees and butterflies. And if there's any agriculture around there, and also again, that land is going to be resting for a while, and so it, it the, the putting posts in there is not going to affect um, any of its potential to produce energy later. Uh, I mean, sorry, to produce um, crops later. Yeah. So um, anyway, there's a lot of education that needs to go on, and there's a lot of myths around utility solar, just as there are around residential solar. Yeah, of course. You know. Yeah, I think we all want to be good stewards of the resources we've been entrusted with. And the United States has an abundant, you know, we have an abundant amount of resources. The, the one thing that's so fantastic about the sun is, is that, I mean, obviously the sun hits differently throughout the world, but everyone has access to it. And, and it kind of democratizes the access to power in a way that no other energy source ever has been able to do. And, and that's something we're really excited about on the podcast as well. Absolutely. I think energy independence is just one of those things that excited me about it. Now, when I got into solar again in 2009, I realized, you know, it's very difficult, especially back then when, when they were still selling mostly uh, lead acid batteries. But I think the technology is improving faster and faster, just, just like uh, microchips are improving faster and faster. So we'll, we'll see if that, that reality happens. And by the way, um, Again, I don't know how much you're dealing with these things, but the smart home has to become a genius home. 
um, because it's going to, you don't want to be making these decisions based on utility rates and all these other things um, about when to charge and when to charge your battery or when to charge your EV or, or when to run your dishwasher. You want smart systems, again, that are going to be in your phone, that are going to know what the utility rates are and what the demand is. And, and by the way, California is heading towards hourly rate, rate changes in the next couple of years, if you believe it or not. Right now, we have a system where it's like an eight-hour system. Pretty soon, it's going to be an hourly thing. So that's Well, it'll be an hourly thing with, the, with NEM 3.0 beginning in April. So... Um, it's for solar customers. It's already an hourly thing. The import and export rates are going to vary by hour and homeowners don't have the patience or ability to try to manage that. So the, we need to have systems and homes and, and, and things in place to manage that on behalf of homeowners so that we can have a more responsible grid system. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's, and, and again, California is generally a model for a lot of the U S so it'll probably go even farther than that, um, than California, unfortunately. So anyway, all this is to say that homes are getting more complex and solar installers have a lot of, um, solutions to be energy solutions providers, um, to manage all of your energy. And so you don't have to think about it. You just, have to uh, enjoy it and and enjoy the savings. Tor, I got to say on behalf of the solar podcast and the solar industry at large, thank you for all that you're doing to try to mainstream the story uh, of solar um, through the work that you're doing through Probably True Solar Stories, as well as through the work that you do as a PR company on Unthink Solar. I would encourage any of our listeners that have solar companies that are interested in getting PR work done, you can obviously reach out to Tor uh, and his team through unthinksolar.com. And obviously, please go and 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 listen to Probably True Solar Stories. Uh, it's an entertaining way to, to learn about um, um, you know, to learn about the solar industry in a, a partially fictional, but maybe probably true way as well. So Tor, thanks so much for coming on to the solar podcast today. Appreciate you having me on Dave. Thanks. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the solar podcast. Please don't forget to rate review and share us with your colleagues and friends who are passionate about solar, renewable energy, and the future of the environment. We'll talk to you soon.